You're listening to a podcast of This Positive Life, thebody.com's growing collection of first-person stories from people living with HIV. Madama, welcome to thebody.com. It's wonderful to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me to speak to you. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from and where you grew up. I'm from New Zealand and I'm indigenous to New Zealand as a, a Māori. I come from a small place on the west coast of the North Island of New Zealand called Waikanae. Can you describe the town where you grew up? It's very small with lots of communities, Māori community and a very close-knit area. Um, not very exposed to the world or global issues or things like that. We're by the ocean, so we live off the sea and, and the area around us. So fishing and that kind of culture? Yes, definitely. And getting shellfish and things like that. <laughs> when were you diagnosed with HIV? In 1993, I was 22 years old. We have what we call a marae, or our community gathering place. That's where we have our funerals and our ceremonies. Right next door to that is a liquor-selling nightclub-type place that had a band on at the time. Me and my family all there, and um, we went across to watch a live band, and I met someone um, there. It's the first time I've ever been picked up in a bar or had a one-night stand so I was very young very naive and no knowledge of HIV whatsoever he was traveling and leaving he was from Africa from Uganda and he carried on traveling I got a little bit sick a couple of weeks later and didn't think much of it about six weeks later it was in our local newspapers that he had been going around the country and had infected quite a few women with HIV. I thought, oh, I better go and get tested. I was absolutely terrified. I was very, very young and just beginning life, really. It came back positive. What did you know about HIV at the time? Had you heard anything at all? Well, I actually thought the first cold or the first bacteria or anything nasty was going to kill me immediately. I I didn't realise you could live with it or anything. That's how little I had of knowledge. It was something that was spoken about in New Zealand as a gay man's disease, so I didn't know anything. It seems that back then there wasn't even as much information as we have now. There's still not much information in our country now because it's still considered very much a gay man's disease. The prevention and education that is funded by our government is actually targeting the so-called at-risk areas but not our local communities or our indigenous people. There's not much awareness among women that they might be at risk. Very little obvious awareness. There is um, sex education and safe sex demonstrations, but even then, um, as far as HIV is concerned, our kids are still being taught that they can catch it from a cup. So that's how far behind we are from the rest of the world. Are you out as HIV positive in your town and with the people that you grew up with and that you live with? For us as a people, confidentiality is a huge issue and because we are such a tight-knit community, we support each other very closely. My mother and another relation was there when I was diagnosed and I can't stop them and therefore it spread like wildfire. And because people saw him in the paper and they knew that something had happened with me and him that night, so yeah, it was really quick. Everybody knew without you even having the opportunity to tell them. 
we deliberately went to our eldest person in our family and told him directly. For us, he was the most important person to tell first. And his reaction was a stunned reaction, but he saw that I was still part of the family and that I was still his niece. So that was a good reaction. Over the years, we've had lots of concerns about me handling cooking, food and cutlery and setting tables and We've had to educate as we go, so not all the family knows that it's okay. I've had a child since. At first I thought I'd never have children, and then I was able to have a child because of medication. But it was also educating my community that um, it's okay to have a baby while you're HIV positive. A lot of them thought I was irresponsible by having a child. Every time I lost a bit of weight or got a little bit sick, instantly they'd think that the funeral was going to be happening, so they'd start preparing for it. In my community there wasn't much knowledge at all, other than what we could say at the limited way that we could say it. Did you have any bad reactions from people? Um, sometimes people would take their children away from me, and that would hurt. I think, if anything, my mother suffered the most of the stigma and discrimination because a lot of people were too afraid to come to me. I've had incidences with health professionals, doctors and nurses and ambulance staff and they really overreact and and put you into isolation and quarantine and, and treat you like you're so severely contagious and those sorts of things. They still happen today. If you're bleeding a little bit or anything like that, you still get this over-the-top reaction to treatment of being HIV positive. Our health professionals in New Zealand, out of their three years training to be a nurse or eight years to be a doctor, they may get half a day on HIV. And we're trying to, with our organisation, trying to get in there to give them it from a first-hand perspective of what it's like to live with HIV and how we feel when they put three pairs of gloves on and things like that. That's a good place to switch gears and talk about the HIV work that you do now. You work with an organisation, am I right? Yes, um, me and my husband. My husband is HIV positive as well. He's a Pacific Islander living in New Zealand. Um, We've started an Indigenous Māori and South Pacific HIV AIDS Foundation, and it's a cultural approach to prevention and support. When you say cultural approach, what do you mean? What sorts of uh, activities do you do? What's the name of the organization? We're called INA, INA Foundation. And the types of things that we do as far as prevention education in each culture, there's different ways of actually relaying education. Um, we specialize in including our elders and they're trained to give um, HIV education. We go into our communities and we do our protocols and our rituals before we even get to the topic of HIV. And we discuss, and we, we talk from a personal perspective. We talk about our lives. We train and encourage other HIV-positive Māori and Pacific Island people to come forth and do it in their language. Um, we're finding that if you have someone that's of your culture, of your language, standing in front of you, telling you that it's a reality, that this can happen to you, the impact is far stronger than giving a very Victorian way of teaching the message. You sit down there and we'll draw on a blackboard. We do it at all different levels. We may do it at sitting around a table having a coffee, or we could do it in a room full of people. We're, we're very flexible. 
You spoke a lot about different rituals in your culture and other related cultures that you're working with. Are HIV-positive people excluded from any rituals, or do they ever encounter discrimination related to any of the rituals that happen? It's an interesting topic because once you've disclosed that you're HIV positive, you can then go to the next level of saying that it won't affect those rituals. We've actually had a really good response from our people when we do things from our ritual, traditional point of view, and it could be traditional medicine, it could be just the way that we deal with it, spirituality, uh, our families. So... No, they haven't been, because we've been open and honest about it. We're finding that once the people that don't know anything about HIV have a little bit more understanding, they've really been really open and welcoming. What's the biggest challenge that you face in your work? The biggest challenge currently is getting our voice out, um, getting the Māori or the indigenous people of our country recognised. A lot of situations, because we're a colonised country, we end up being tagged on the end of someone else's service. There's definitely a lot of other really well-resourced, funded services, and they'll just add us on as an extra. Our challenge now is to go back and keep fighting to become our own core whole organisation and stand on our own two feet. You have a husband and he's HIV positive and your baby is negative. Um, Can you talk a little bit about the process of uh, first meeting your husband and having your baby and what you went through to do that? I met him at a Pacific Island AIDS Foundation training for AIDS ambassadors. He's a public AIDS ambassador. He's lost his wife and his first two children to AIDS. And he's only quite young. He's 35 when I met him. I'd been told by my doctors I could have a baby and I was really, really wanting to have a baby. We discussed it. We went to a doctor and and discussed the complications around it and found that because we were on the same medication, we couldn't infect each other because the medication was going to knock off whatever virus would infect each other. So we could actually have a child naturally. And we did. When she was born, um, she came early and we had to have a cesarean, but we were told we could have natural birth. She was born and went on medication for six weeks. She's been regularly tested and she's come back negative. So it's a second chance for him and a second chance for me. Were you on medication while you were pregnant as well? Yes. I've been on medication since 2000. That was another reason why they said I could go ahead and have a baby, that it was less than 1%. What meds were you on, do you remember? I've been on the cocktail of um, Nevirapine with AZT and 3TC. And he's on the same, so that makes it easier. Are there a lot of other uh, medications available in your part of the country? We're slowly getting them. In the beginning, we only had the protease inhibitors, and that was making a lot of people sick. I think we have about eight regimes now, but I know some countries have 20 or more. With the eight regimes we've got now, we're doing well. There's some that have gone through all of them. We support them as well. We just keep on lobbying and hoping that our government will allow or subsidise more. My husband actually gets his sent from Papua New Guinea because his residency hasn't been sorted yet, but he's doing well. (laughs) Is it easier to get them from there or it's just because uh, a situation with him being a resident there and not... Uh, Once he gets residency, he'll be able to get them from home. How old is your daughter? Uh, She turns two in October. What's her name? Her name is Mainga. 
that's beautiful. Yeah, we kind of made the name up for, for the people that introduced us and made it happen. She's named, in a sense, for them? Yes, because they're the ones that got us to the training and we met each other and our relationship bloomed from there. With all of the care that you do for other people and all of the work that you do in the interest of uh, improving other people's lives, how do you take care of yourself? Well, firstly, I take my own traditional medicines alongside my Western medicine. Um, I've had counselling on and off since I've been infected, which has been a huge part of helping me get where I am. And I also have a strong network of positive people that I have contact with. And my family. My family are a huge support. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be able to do anything. Your family is parents, and do you have brothers and sisters also, yes. grandparents? Yeah, many cousins and aunties and uncles, but my mother lives with us. She helps with looking after my child. That helps me to do the work that has to be done. That's the biggest support, that a stranger's not bringing my child up. It's a good place to close. Thank you so much. It was wonderful speaking with you. Thank you for letting me speak. The opinions expressed by hosts or interviewees in this podcast do not constitute professional advice, should not be considered substitutes for professional services, and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Body Health Resources Corporation or its sponsors. Please see the full disclaimer online at thebody.com. If you have comments or questions, please contact us. Thanks for listening to This Positive Life. For more podcasts and other first-person stories, please visit us online at thebody.com. If you'd like to share your story, please email us at podcast at thebody.com.